Welcome, everybody. Uh, we're going to start a little early, just because. Uh, my name is Stephen Lane. I'm the Chief Medical Officer here at Health Gorilla, and I'm here with my esteemed colleague, Dr. Jim Jurgis from HCA Healthcare. And we're just a couple of uh, primary care docs trying to make the world better through health IT. And uh, we're here to talk about medication data and uh, how we can utilize that to make the world better and uh, improve the care that we provide to our patients. So uh, the reason that we're talking about medication data um, is because we, uh, Health Gorilla has uh, managed to uh, bring out a product where they combine pharmacy dispense data with clinical medication data that's received through EHR queries and bring that data all together and deduplicate it and provide it to uh, network participants to inform care. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But first, just a little bit uh, by way of introduction. So I'm a, a practicing family physician uh, for 30 plus years and a clinical informaticist. Um, I joined Health Gorilla six months ago as the chief medical officer really to help support the, their movement towards being a qualified health information network under the new Trusted Exchange Framework and Common Agreement, or TEFCA. Um, and uh, it's been very exciting to be here after being in the, on the health system side for decades uh, and see how the, the industry side works and, uh, and how products are brought to market and try to make a difference that way. Uh, Jim, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, Jim Georges. I'm an internist as well, recovering internist. I, don't, I haven't practiced in a little bit few years now, but uh, I've been the Chief Health Information Officer at HCA. A lot of tough problems to solve. We have 185 hospitals. We're in, you know, 22 states, 44 markets, and it's been interesting for me to come from academia into uh, HCA because I get to see the variation around the country and the challenges of all of our data and how sequestered it is and how hard it is for doctors, patients, and nurses to deliver care. And so the promise of interoperability is uh, I, gets me in the, up in the morning. I don't even need caffeine because the promise of what it can do for our patients is enormous. So I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Oh, there we go. Thank you for joining us for this. Um, so Jim and I also both sit on the uh, Office of the National Coordinator's Health Information Technology Advisory Committee. So we have a chance to do a, a lot of cool things together. Uh, but one of the things that uh, we've each struggled with in our practice uh, that providers uh, and patients struggle with across the country and around the world is managing medication information. Uh, clearly, you know, medication data is central to providing health care. I mean, most of us take medications. I think I take four or five prescription meds these days. I'm an old man. Um, and, you know, probably most of you, you know, or either you or your loved ones certainly take prescribed medicines. And it's really important when you're taking medicines that that your care team knows what you, what it is you're taking. I mean, they all they affect your physiology and you know how you function in the world. Uh, so having that information straight is critical to being able to provide safe and cost-effective care. And of course, the cost of medications for some people can be huge. Um, and getting you know making sure that people are on the the optimized set of medications um, and making good decisions about what medications to prescribe. Um, all of that is informed by knowing what medications the patient has taken today and what they've taken in the past, how they've reacted to those, et cetera. So, you know, when we think about health data and all the different types of health data, you know, the, one of the, the core pieces of health data we refer to is the PAMI data, the problems, the allergies, 
the medications and the immunizations. And then there's a whole lot of other data types that, that go underneath that. But, but we're going to talk about medication data, uh, why it's important, how challenging it is for providers, and a little bit about you know, what we can all do as we go forward to try to, try to make that better. You, you want to give some yeah. background on medications? Yeah. Uh, gosh, a uh, cu couple things. One is uh, I, I like to tell our, our leaders at HCA and Center, why, why, are why is medicine reconciliation, for example, knowing what meds the patients are on important? Well, because meds hurt people. And we all know why we take them, because they help people, but they actually hurt people. They hurt people if you're not taking what you're supposed to be. They hurt people if there's drug interactions. They hurt, peop I mean, they hurt people if uh, you're on something you shouldn't be, right? And so it's so important. Uh, the number of patients that come in, come in for example, uh, a great example I give is a patient who's had a transplant. They're on medications that are meant to prevent their body from rejecting the organ that's giving them life. They go to a walk-in clinic and, and have with a yeast infection and they get fluconazole, which absolutely interferes with the very medicine that's preventing rejection and then they show up in the emergency room with a rejected organ. What? Why didn't the person prescribing have the information not to do this? So not only is it really, I just want your medicines hurt people, right? But also, the task of knowing what a patient's on is enormously time intensive. It's time intensive enough when you know what meds they're on and trying to figure out, but let alone trying to find out what they're on. And the last thing I'll say before we move is, is you know, we talk about the patient's medicine list. Oh, you think there's one list? No, there's not. There's what the doctors thought the patient should be on. There's what the patient has decided to take. So if you just ask the patient what they're on, you may miss the, the cholesterol medicine they're supposed to be on. So uh, I say all that to say, wow, what a perfect thing to focus on with interoperability because something that really can hurt people if you don't get it right, that takes a ton of time, that sounds like a job for interoperability. You betcha. It's uh, also eventually going to be a job for patient engagement, for artificial intelligence, for machine learning. There are just all sorts of opportunities to make this process better. But, you know, you were talking about a couple of medication lists. But, I mean, truly, the medication, you know, what's in your body might have come from a pharmacy. It might have come from Amazon. Yeah. It might have come from your neighbor. I can't tell you how many patients say, oh yeah, I started that antibiotic that you gave to my wife last week because you know I had the same symptoms she had and now we're both out. I mean, it's, it, it's really challenging. And, and then it goes beyond pharmaceuticals, right? I mean, my wife is a homeopath. You know, they give remedies. You know, people get supplements. Um, there's, there's all sorts of things. And sometimes we know how these things interact and sometimes we don't. So, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of challenges. But I think when you're talking about the data, the data that's available, there's obviously the data from the EHRs, you know, where people, or, or the e-prescribing systems, where people have, have put down, you know, this is the medicine I'm prescribing. But then that prescription may or may not make it to a pharmacy. You know, the patient may or may not pick it up. So the dispense data becomes really important. You know, I forget the numbers, but it's something like a third of the medicines we prescribe. People never end up even picking up from the pharmacy. You know, and then how are they actually taking it? So that's not just about what does the prescription say, you know, one capsule twice a day with meals, you know, but, but how is the patient actually taking it? So it's really critical if you're going to try to reconcile a medication list and be clear what people are taking to have a conversation with the patient. You can't 
you can't reconcile a medication list in a vacuum. So knowing the data from the prescriber, the data from the dispenser, and the data from the patient is really, in my mind, what you need to be able to do medication reconciliation. As, and as you were saying, Jim, it takes a long time. I mean, in modern primary care, I mean, a 15-minute visit is sort of luxurious, right? I mean, that's, you know, I, I, I typically do 20s, you know, which is great because sometimes just doing the med rec will take 10 minutes. I mean, literally, if you've got a complex patient who's on a dozen medicines, you know, but their list actually shows two dozen medicines because nobody's bothered to delete the things that, that don't belong there. I mean, it, it can be crazy, right? Yeah, and it's interesting. The stats are most patients who are on, on, on Medicare have an average of, how many, how many doctors on average do you think uh, the average Medicare patient has? Eight, we hear eight, 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 do we hear eight, 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 nine, 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 no. Twelve. Now, this allergy, that's your skin doctor, it's your joint, you, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of people prescribing whose, whose EMRs don't talk to each other. And as, I don't know about you, but as I get older, my memory's not as good. And now I have to keep track of what 12 people prescribe me, right? That's a, that's a really tall order. And then there's, there's still samples, right? Yeah, and then there's samples. and then, Oh, don't... There's drug... Food interactions, grapefruit. You can imagine, you were alluding to patient engagement. Could you imagine a patient who now all of this information from the 12 doctors comes into an interface that the patient and family can see that also asks if they take grapefruit juice? Because if you're on many medications, you better not be drinking grapefruit juice. But how many doctors remember to tell them that? There ain't time in 20 minutes. Ain't no one got time for that, right? So, um, so we're really interested in trying to capture this data from all the sources, right? From the prescribers, the EMR systems, from the pharmacies where the medication is dispensed, and then also from the patient. You know, how can we get that patient engagement to look at their list and, and help to reconcile it. I mean, I've, I've been very fortunate. Uh, in my, my health system, we implemented the very first EHR patient portal over 20 years ago. You know, so, so my patients have a chance to see their med list. They come in, they, they see my medical assistant, they say, oh no, I'm not taking that, I'm not taking that. But at least in my system, I don't know about yours, we don't empower the medical assistants to actually take it off the list. They can just flag it, because heaven forbid, you know, you need a physician to be able to acknowledge that the patient says they're not taking that medicine. I'm not sure why. But, um, but you know, so, so patients will say, oh yeah, I've told them 16 times that I'm not taking that medicine anymore, but it's still on the list because the dermatologist, the orthopedist, the cardiologist, they didn't bother to take it off the list because they were busy doing other things. So it falls back to the PCPs or the hospitalists when people land in the hospital to, to clean up those lists. So I think Again, the, the, the challenge is for everyone to get engaged in this. And I think the opportunity is how can we bring computation? How can we bring digital health tools to this challenge to allow us to start to automate this? Because what we've learned is that doctors don't do a good job. Well, doctors and nurses, I'll tell you a story. This is a true story. One of my patients came into the emergency room with a horrible rash all over and trouble breathing and everything came out, I was trying to figure out what's going on. So I looked at the med list and then the steps where the nurse would take an intake of what the patient's on. And then I would come validate that and then decide what I'm gonna prescribe or how I'm gonna treat based on what they're on. Well, it turns out that patient's list was old. 
and the four medicines that were on it, they weren't taking, but a new one had been prescribed by someone, and that's what was causing the trouble. But when I looked at the list, there were these four old medicines that hadn't changed. So I almost just went on to try to figure out some other zebra the patient may have when it occurred to me. This is the emergency room. Nurses don't have time. When traumas are coming in, what's one of the first things to go? Labor-intensive, time-intensive things. So I went to the nurse and said, did you do the med rec? Yes. I said, no, no, you're not going to get in trouble. Just tell me, did you? She said, I didn't have time. I just hit yes to all of them. So that could have hurt. If I hadn't occurred to me, the delay. And so we just get back to why computational? Well, not just because it'll help us get insights, but could you imagine if the nurse went up to it and all the meds from everywhere, machine understandable, came in when they were last filled. It was right there. It was really easy. It was updated and there was no old med list. Not only is it accurate, fraction of the time, that translates into not only efficiency but better outcomes. But that depends on the information and its meaning traveling wherever the patient goes. Not to mention layering on what he's talking about, about analytics and insights that might tell me that genetically that patient shouldn't be on that antidepressant, they should be on a different one. That's a whole other ball game. Sad stories. So. So I think we have a couple of challenges. One is the current medication list. What, what is this person taking? What are they supposed to be taking? What's in their body today to help me make decisions? The other is the history of the medications that have been taken and used in the past and what were all the reactions and the outcomes of those. You know, I didn't respond well to that. I had an allergy to that. I had an intolerance to that. I didn't like the color of that pill. You know, whatever it was. But I, in order to make good decisions, as both a treating provider and as the patient, you need to have all that information. So I think, again, what, what we're doing at Health Gorilla in trying to pull together both the, all the available EMR data and all the available dispense data is, is to try to inform that process. Um, and then, again, starting to think about how do you bring modern computing tools to that. And that's not obvious, um, you know, because some patients, some medications are dispensed without be, us being aware of them, right? People will pay out of pocket, and then that data may not be available. Or as I say, people will get medicine off the streets from a friend, from a spouse, you know, with all the best intentions, but, uh, but getting all of that information in. So I think, in my mind, you, we want that dispense data so that we can say, well, there's this medicine that Dr. You know, Garcia seems to have prescribed six weeks ago, but you haven't filled it. Yeah, oh, right. Yeah, doctor. You're right. Yeah, I can't afford it or whatever. You know, I was out of town. You know, or here's this medicine that it looks like it's been renewed every month, but it hasn't been dispensed for nine months. Like, what's going on with that? Oh, you know, I didn't like that medicine. You know, I couldn't get an erection when I was taking that. You know, whatever it was. And um, so we, we need to look at how to understand the dispense data, how to utilize the dispense data to inform our analysis of the EHR and the prescribing data so we can flag a medicine and say, yeah, this one's been prescribed, but it doesn't look like it's been dispensed, so we can have a conversation with the patient. How many of you use some kind of a patient portal or patient-facing app that lists your medicines? So about, about half, maybe a little bit more. I mean, how willing would you be to, before your encounter with the provider, go in and validate your medicine and say, yeah, I'm taking this, I'm taking that, I'm not taking that. Is that something that most people 
would be willing to do. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of shaking heads. I'm guessing the sicker you are and the more meds you have, the more willing you'll be. Well, or maybe you're too sick to do it. And maybe a loved one does it yeah, for you. right. So I, I, think, I think that that's the, kind of the secret sauce, is taking the prescribing data, the dispensing data, analyzing that, putting it in front of the patient or their caregiver, you know, and say, please validate this then bringing that in, enabling the clinical support team, the nursing team, to you know, put things on the list. They say they're taking, take things off the list. Because truly, I mean, you don't need a medical degree to have the patient tell you, I stopped taking that. Yeah. Or, you know, or I don't want to take that, or, or whatever it is. Um, you just, it's just a communication process. And so I think that there, there are real opportunities to automate that. In the end, I don't think we're going to get to truly automated medication reconciliation. I mean, we can have a fully compiled list of historical meds. We can try to glean from the patient, from the EHR, you know, why something may have been discontinued or what the effect could have been. But, but at the, I don't think that we can just say, you know, how the computer, tell me what's on the current well, med it, list. As they mentioned, the keynote, or, or, it should be auto, augmented. Another augmentation, not autom automation, only works with a very, very finite set of non-changing simple rules that don't have bad consequences if you get it wrong. Most of healthcare is not that. So most of artificial intelligence, et cetera, is augmenting the human, augmenting in a very powerful way. What I was going to say is, you know, if you prioritize, there's a ton of things to focus on. Why medicines? I'll tell you why. The, the quadrifecta or trifecta. I don't know which. You know, nursing and physician shortage, the more efficient, everyone is bowing at the altar of how do we make nurses and doctors more efficient. That's one. Outcomes for patients, patient safety. I mean, it just hits all of them, right? Lost. When I used to, it cost. When I used to go, when I used to be a hospitalist, I would admit patients, many of them were older. And you know, the, the literature actually bears, if you do it right, with the 12 meds to 20 meds people are on, it and validate the dose. It can take 30 to 40 minutes. Th I know you think it's crazy. No. And it's probably the most important thing, knowing what a patient's on. So it, it's right up there in improving the efficiency. You know, back at our organization, when we look at interoperability, our leaders, one of the first things they jumped to was, if you can fix medicine reconciliation for all the reasons I mentioned, you got something. And these are folks who look at interoperability and often say, so you're going to be sending tons of data to doctors and nurses? How are they going to sift through it? But, if, oh, if you can fix that use case, now you're talking. So it's kind of a neat time to be thinking about medicines. It, it is. And, uh, and again, we could be having this talk about any number of lists you know, in, in health data. So I mentioned problems, allergies, immunizations, his, you know, surgical procedures, care team members, there's, there's all these lists. Medicines really do float to the top for the reasons that the Jim, you were saying. But, but the, the same paradigm of collecting the data from everywhere it is, engaging the patient, making it easy for the care team to put together, you know, what is the current list, and then having it certified, having it sort of stamped to say, as of this date, based on these informants, you know, we are saying this is the, the, the right data. And then if we could push that back out, you know, across the wire to everyone that's involved, 
so that the digital health, the cardiologist, the home care nurse, you know, the pharmacist, you name it, they all had access to that latest data. You know, that, that I think is, is the direction that we want to go with this, with this functionality. But again, the start is collecting the data from all yeah. the relevant places. And to tie it back to the keynote, I mean, all the things he just said about healthcare today, but you know, these generative AI models, the chat GPT, as we start doing that, the data's gotta be in there to actually have it inform the algorithm and help the human, right? So that it's just, I guess we should do a list of reasons that medications are important to get right with interoperability. I think it's getting bigger. So I'm really interested in any input from you all, members in the audience. I mean, what are experiences that you've had, challenges you've had, you know, managing your own medications, medications of Questions. a loved one? How do you think the technology, interoperability, access to data, and computational resources, how, how could that be made better from, from your perspective? Any thoughts? We got a mic runner. We don't want to go there. It's but, okay. That's fine. We, we don't want to put anybody on the spot, but I think... Our questions. Yep. Hello. Um, specifically about medications that have been tried out on a patient that have adverse effect, adverse effects, but not only that, but if there's contraindication between two meds and they don't realize it until the patient's put on it, they're like, whoa, wait a minute. So then they take it off and then there's it's no longer in the chart. Even... But then yet, I could go in and say my daughter's no longer taking these meds and it'll stay there for the rest of her life. And so there's no history of the medications we've gone through to try to, to alleviate this particular issue or, you know, anyway, that type of thing. It'd be nice to have that historical data to say, yeah, don't ever put her on these things because this XYZ happens. So what you're getting at is the whole area of adverse drug events, and, um, and knowing about allergies and contraindications to medications. And clearly that's, it's another data class, is allergies and contraindications, but very much involved. And as you say, as you maintain the me that medication list, and as you collect that medication history, you want to be able to capture in discrete fee data fields where it can be accessed again, why a medicine was stopped, what the effect was, because clearly it's, it's not just the interactions and the allergies, but there are, there are other contraindications, right? I mean, you were talking about the transplant patient, right? Well, there's the, to quote Donald Rumsfeld, I never thought I'd do that here in this setting, but there's the known knowns, right? Those are some of rules of interaction or whatever. Then there's the unknown unknowns, right? Things that can happen. That, and those, for example, like a known contraindication, that's something that if we had a right med list, those rules should be built in, right? However, there's a challenge with how many rules fire. So it's not as simple and, and the noise and stuff. But then there's the unknown unknown. That's what you're getting at, where there's an idiosyncratic reaction that my daughter had that's not in the literature. We don't know why, but where does that fit? It, it, there should be a do not ever give list because of this. But whenever we've done that, it's called the allergy and adverse drug list. Uh, one of my former uh, partners was a CNIO at Vanderbilt. She did her PhD thesis on, the, on that list. And she found out that 95% of the time it was wrong, and no one will ever take it off the list. So what you're getting is this, this problem of how we handle adverse. No human will remove something from the list because of liability. But most of them, are, they felt nauseated maybe because of the med. And now forever it's on the list, right? So what I'm getting at is 
number one, we don't have a good place to put those idiosyncratic reactions. Number two, there's a problem with even a list like that not, not becoming a, a, a stone that gathers moss and becomes unuseful in and of itself. So these are challenges. It was grayed out, yeah. But it was there. Visually. So you, yeah, so you knew that at one point in time, she took it for a hot two seconds and was like, that's grayed out. I wonder what that's all about. Because, yeah. it, you know, it's when you look at that historical view that you realize, oh, wait a minute. Not only did those two medications, but maybe it's because she was doing this, this, and this. So. Yeah, and, and I think that it is important to remember that most EHRs are going to have that historical information somewhere, but it's not baked into the workflow. You know, so if you're an OCD PCP like we are, um, you know, you'll go back and find that. You'll look for it. You'll dig it out. But but for most people, well, it really, if you don't put it right in, in their faces, it's not going to impact the care. Even for the magnificently OCD people like us, for example, what you don't know, you don't know, right? So I had a patient for 15 years and uh, started experiencing some depression. I decided to put her on Celebra or uh, Celexa, right? And she said, "Well, didn't I take that and not do well with it?" And I was like, um, well, fortunately, we had developed the search capability in our EMR. And when we searched for it, sure enough, nine years earlier, she took it. Now, if she had done the genetic testing, maybe we could have had rules that would have fired. And I wouldn't have to have remembered it because when I went to prescribe it. But she didn't. We had biological history that said she didn't. I, had to, I didn't know to search for it. And ain't, no one's got time to search for everything, right? So you make a really good point. If somehow the, the, the record could depict that and use some of our more advanced computational techniques to not have it always be a, someone to remember and you put it on a list, then maybe that's the ticket. So, so you mentioned pharmacogenomics, which of course is a key data type that can really inform this work of safe medication practices uh, and something that I think is increasingly starting to work its way into some, some prescribing systems. I mean, we've got, we've got friends who've, who've installed this. There's some health systems that are doing genetic testing on everyone now, well, on all newborns. In a past life, I did a big business assessment of this. And in a current life, I did it again. And one of the things we found is pharmacogenomics is the absolute Quint quintessential, is that the right word? Interoperability story. Here's why. It doesn't make financial sense. These chips where you can test somebody once for 300 SNPs, right? It doesn't make sense for every place you go to to do it. It's too expensive. Just in case you prescribe one day. But if you test once and that information follow the patient to every EMR, the ROI completely flips. The ROI is incredibly negative if everyone has to test it to get it in their EMR. It's just not worth it because I did the math on how, what's the likelihood in their life that they'll get this drug, what's the likelihood that they'll have the genetic defect, what's the likelihood that it'll cause the stent to clot, you know. And it's so rare, and is it an Asian population? If it's not, then it's going to be even rarer, right? And so it just doesn't, you just can't make the business case for preemptive testing, which is really what we want unless you do it once and it follows the patient wherever they go the rest of their life, that is a, a remarkably positive safety ROI. So it's, it's hard not to get excited. And I, I hope one day we have a US CDI for pharmacogenomic data so that machine understandable data that's processed into rules can follow the patient wherever they go so that when somebody is getting started on a medication for depression, they don't have to wait, they don't have to do trial by error Let's try five different things, and then maybe, hopefully, they don't die of their depression. 
But instead, the test was done six years ago just in case, and it magically appeared in my EMR, and I know the right one to go to. Interoperability is going to make that a tremendous, it's going to flip pharmacogenomics from an esoteric thing to just part of the way we give care. That's exciting. Wow, George Jetson stuff. So, so, Jim, you mentioned USCDI. How many people know that acronym by heart? Okay, we got two. Two in the room. Okay, so that's the U.S. Core Data for Interoperability, uh, USCDI for short. It, it's a uh, data standard that the Office of the National Coordinator is maintaining that has been built into a lot of the rules and regulations that are driving the, the health IT industry forward. Um, I've had the pleasure, uh, and I think you too, Jim, to, to serve on the the task forces at the federal level that are helping to advance USCDI. USCDI is now in its third iteration. The, the ONC uh, rules that came out, the proposed rules that came out last week are going to move us to from USCDI version 1 to USCDI version 3 for the new national standard, which would go into effect, I think, at the end of 2024 uh, is the proposal. Um, but uh, the idea is that there are these core classes of data, medications being one of them. Within each of those classes, there are various data elements. So the, the name of the medicine, the dose of the medicine, the route by which it's being prescribed, etc. So it's by advancing this national standard of data that needs to be exchanged between health IT systems that really puts us in a position to be able to do the computations that we're talking about. That's, the, that's another thing to put on the list with lot numbers, is when bad stuff happens with meds, it's just another day at the office to figure out who's on it and actually get them off of it. Well, and you know, you mentioned Vioxx, where a whole drug comes off the market. But with a lot of things more recently, it's been specific lot numbers that have had some contaminants in them. You know, and it goes out on the news, and my patients call my office, and they say, oh my god, I'm taking this really common drug, but it's only a few lot numbers that were recalled. Do you know what I got? Of course not. The pharmacy knows that. I wouldn't know that unless I had pharmacy dispense data. And unless that pharmacy dispense data had the lot number, well, lo and behold, that's now possible. You know, and you can get that data from the pharmacy feed back into the provider. So when it's time to manage that patient population, make sure that people get the right, the safe drug renewed, you've got that information. So I think we are we are nearing our the end of our time. Um, this has been fun. Um, any other questions from anybody that, that you want to throw out there? Uh, obviously, we could talk all day about just about anything having to do with health data. We'd be happy to do that. You can tell we're not very excited about this. We're good? All right. Well, thank you all for coming.